wouldn't have thought the, the, the connections between Psalm 23, that other song that we sang, and a vision of heaven from the book of Revelation. So many connections. Would you open to the book of Revelation and chapter 7? That's the last book in the Bible. Chapter 7. The children may be released to children's church. That's kindergarten through second grade. And we're also having the practice for the kids' choir. So any kids who are in kids' choir can go for that practice as well. Revelation chapter 7. And we're starting with verse 9 to the end of the chapter. And here's encouragement for God's people facing all kinds of difficulties and trials. Look ahead and see the end for which you're striving. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Father, help us to savor this vision. To savor what you have revealed about the wonderful joy that you've called us to and destined us to in your presence. Let us take encouragement from those things which are far away and at the end and let us bring that encouragement into our lives today. O Holy Spirit, open our hearts that they might be enlarged and filled because of all the goodness that you have spoken about, all the goodness that you've revealed, all the goodness that you've promised, which we will inherit and enter and enjoy for all eternity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That's what we always do to holidays. We... We crank up so much effort, we, we get running after the cards and the presents and the calls and all the, uh, the details that have to be organized. 
and then the moment comes and by some Herculean effort, you know, with, with some clutter jammed in drawers and under the sofa and, you know, some bribes and some intimidation, we get everybody there in the place at the time and we enjoy that perfect holiday moment. Only we don't really enjoy it. We, we're there and, and if we look up, we look around and we realize that everyone is already sick of this holiday. Why, why do we do this? We forget that anticipation is half the fun. And uh, so anticipation is the purpose of this passage. It's to get our juices flowing and to get us excited about what's ahead so that we will look ahead and enjoy it. So uh, let, us, let us take courage. Let's not reach our destination all bleary-eyed, looking around, wondering how did we get here and what is this all for? But we want to reach our destination as one which we have longed for, hungered for, a day which we've prepared for, wept for, rejoiced for, and at last we've reached. That's the way we want to travel in this life. We want the joy of heaven to flood our lives today. Well, since salvation ends in triumph, the saved should anticipate it. Since our salvation is destined to result in praise, in peace, in rejoicing, in in a wonderful cleansing, then we should already be excited about it and we should be anticipating it, looking forward to it and striving to enter it we should be anticipating the wonderful end of our salvation. And I think this passage is, uh, is perfectly designed to help us do that, to help us enjoy the, the path that we're on and enjoy getting there as we look ahead to what's, what's there. Uh, the three things I find in this passage, every passage I look at, it's amazing. I always find three things. And uh, once again... Um, so in verses 9 through 12, uh, I find um, a vision. And then in verses 13 and 14, an explanation of the vision. And then in verses 15 through 17, a promise. And the thing which will unfold, the promise that, that is given to us to hold on to and to rejoice in. So first, the vision. And the vision that John is given of heaven is a vision of praise. It's the triumph that we have when we reach heaven is a triumph of praise. The triumph that our salvation leads to is a triumph of praise. And so we see praise in these verses 9 through through 12. And... uh, uh, look first at the, the praise, who the praise comes from. In verse 9, it comes from a great multitude, a great multitude that no one can number. Verse 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. God is saving millions 
Indeed, billions, it seems. God's grace extends so far. And he will have a great multitude, an unbelievable multitude, to come for his name and for his worship and for his glory. And uh, what a joy it is that we can be part of such a great multitude. And, and then to realize that it's from every nation, tribe, people, and language. You know, we're, we're often tempted to ask, what about those who haven't heard? You know, there, there are tribes around the world who haven't heard the gospel, and we find it hard to believe in Christianity because of all those who haven't heard And while we're sitting around wondering about that, those who we're talking about are busy coming into the kingdom. Just some some statistics. Do you realize that 74,000 people every day across the globe come to faith in Christ? That's more than 3,000 per hour on average. That more than 3 billion people have viewed Christian films like the Jesus film. In 1950, China was closed to foreign missions. And there were one million Christians in China. Today, there are about 80 million by our conservative estimates. An average of 28,000 new believers every day just in the People's Republic of China. So you think, uh, you know, where, where is it that it's really hard? Uh, you want to know where, where the church is growing the fastest, some of the, the top 10 nations, uh, according to some, two, some year 2000 statistics. Uh, Northern Mariana Island, Cameroon, Aruba, Guinea, Togo, uh, French Guyana, Nepal, Jordan, Oman. God is at work around the world, and the 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 transformation in our in you know some of our lifetimes that has taken place in the way the gospel has advanced in South America, in Africa. And in Asia, it's completely remarkable. God is bringing his great gospel mission to fruition before our eyes. It's, it's wonderful. It's encouraging. When the disciples were first sent out to make disciples of all nations, there were about 350 unbelievers in the world for every believer. Now there are about seven Somewhere around there. Uh, depending on how you count Christians, how you count unbelievers. But it's, uh, it's an order of magnitude. God is bringing a great multitude for his name. Praise the Lord. So it's a, it's a triumph of praise because it's a triumph of a great multitude coming into heaven to worship the Lord. It's a triumph of praise because it's praise for a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. Will you look at... Uh, at verse 10, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a, it's a curious phrase the way it's written in the original language. It, uh, really, there is not the word belongs there. Um, the word too is not exactly there either. It's sort of implied uh, they do funny things in Greek. They have cases. And, and they, it just says, salvation, the God uh, who sits on the throne, and the Lamb. But the case in which God is put is this case 
which means that uh, it's to God or for God or with God or in God, the dative case. And so it's kind of, oh, wow, wow what, what, is he, what is he saying here? And so I think our NIV has done a good job of translating it. Salvation belongs to our God. It's his. It's his to give. And just, just to show you how, how kind of curious this is, look down in, in verse 12. It's the same word, wording used, where it says, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God. It's, it's just the same wording. Belongs to God or is with God or is in God or is to God or is for God, whatever it, it, it means in this instance. And I think it means that it belongs to God. God is the source of salvation. We might sing 10,000 verses of praise to God for His salvation when we get to heaven, but you know what we won't sing? We won't sing one verse of self-congratulation because salvation belongs to our God. God saves. And when we get there, it will be only thankfulness. And when we get there, we'll be stunned and amazed no matter how much we've anticipated it, no matter, no matter how much we've longed for it, we'll be amazed and overawed by, by the fact that God has saved us, that he's poured out his grace on us and made us the recipients of his favor and, and that we've triumphed through his salvation. So it's praise for a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. It's all of God. Add to it what you will, but it's all of God. Bring to it whatever effort you can. Make a decision. Receive Jesus Christ. Receive Him today. Follow Him. Act on what you hear. Do what you know. But in the end, you turn around and you say, you know, God was the one who enabled me to hear and to act and to believe and to do and to carry out all the things that I heard And I give thanks to God for salvation is all of him. Praise the Lord. Salvation is a free gift. So when we get there, it will be all praise to God. Praise from a great multitude. Praise for a free gift. And praise to a praiseworthy God. Once we finish our verse and we come and we, we sing our testimony, salvation belongs to God. And this will be the thing which is impressed upon our conscience when we arrive there before God's presence, before His throne, and we're rejoicing that we're, we're in that number and that we're with God and we see Him as He is. And we're so overawed by our salvation and we're filled with praise and thanksgiving. And when we finish that song of ours, then the angels will begin those angels who have watched God's works from the very beginning, those angels who have seen His face, those angels who have, who have been witness to things that we haven't even been witness to, whose perspective looks out on the world and sees things from a, a, a viewpoint that we can't even imagine. And they will fill out our song. And there's a much broader perspective in, in their song. They say, Amen, verse 12. What you've said you saved is true. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to God forever and ever. 
And so they see a broader picture of all the same thing. Our salvation is God's wisdom. Our salvation is God's praise. It's God's glory. It's God's strength and honor and his wisdom. There's so much to our salvation that we don't see. One day we'll, we'll see more of it. And we'll continue to see more of it. God packs more meaning in your little life than, than you'll ever know. And you'll just be uncovering it and digging into it for eternity and for eternity. We're praising a praiseworthy God. A God who does majestic, awesome, wonderful things. And the greatest of all the things that God does is bringing you there for salvation. Are you excited? Are you excited to be there? Are, are, we're just supposed to be panting at this point and just, just thrilled. God has made us for joy. And, and our hearts are driven for it. And God will satisfy depths of longing for joy that we have not even yet come to comprehend or recognize within us. And it will be joy in his presence. So this is a vision of a triumph of praise. It's a vision of a triumph of cleansing. It's a vision of a triumph of cleansing. So we've seen the, the vision and now we come to the explanation. The, the elder comes and begins to talk to John, verses 13 and 14. John says, One of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where do they come from? I answered, I don't know. You're the, you're the one who's up here all the time, you know. Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so, looking at the cleansing. These are the ones who are cleansed. And the first thing we see about the cleansing is that it's cleansing amid terrible pressures. Cleansing against the odds. That the people who make it there in white robes are cleansed uh, despite the opposition of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, I see this just in, in the words, great tribulation. These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. Okay, so, so yeah, we get to the question, who are these people and, and where did they come from? And uh, what is the great tribulation? And you know, I, 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 I'm not really sure who these are and exactly where they come from and exactly what is this great tribulation. There are those who say that this great tribulation, these are martyrs, uh, martyred at a specific time near the end, um, that that's their great tribulation. There are those who say these are the last generation of believers and that they come before God um, uh, going through the tribulation of the last times. Others say that they come out of the great tribulation just before the great tribulation happens um, so they didn't quite have to go through it, but you know they had to go through a lot, and uh, they managed to come through clean. The the church, the church in Ephesus. Remember the letter to the church in Ephesus earlier in this book. They had kept clean in a way, but they had lost their first love. 
the, church, the other churches were tolerating false teachers and impurity among them. And so there are all kinds of temptations and things that pull us away from the way that God has taught us, the way that God would lead us. And so it's against the odds that believers can come and appear in white robes. You know, there are terrible odds that you face as you try to live as a Christian. And you know, it's a lot easier to dress yourself in excuses and rationalizations than in the white robes of righteous deeds. But on that day, our excuses will look very ratty and tattered and they won't cover our shame, they will make us ashamed. Our rationalizations will just be sort of a gas and we'll be naked and exposed on that day. We'll be embarrassed to stand in that throng if that's how we've tried to live and serve the Lord. We need to be honest with God and we need to walk in His ways. We need to hear His word and be pure. And so he who has, his, has the, this hope makes himself pure as he, even as he is pure. It's a triumph of cleansing amid terrible pressures, a triumph of cleansing through effort and endurance. You see, robes are deeds. White robes are like the fine linen given to the saints in the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 19.8. The fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. These white robes are deeds, they're acts, they're hard work done out of a pure heart. So we need to be aggressive, we need to be hard working, we need to resist temptation, uh, continue serving in the face of ridicule, sacrifice. Words are not robes. Good intentions are not white robes. Knowledge is not a white robe. An emotional experience, getting moved, brought to tears, is not a white robe. Deeds are white robes. Righteous deeds done in faith. And so everyone's work will be tested and only the one whose work is done in Christ will see it endure the test of fire. So it's a triumph of cleansing. And it's, a, it's cleansing by a free gift. So you see, uh, their robes are washed, not by their own effort, but they're washed, verse 14, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's by the sacrifice of Christ that we're cleansed. Christ cleanses us. Christ qualifies us to enter the kingdom of God. Christ prepares us, makes us ready to be acceptable before the Father. He is our priest, and he's the one who purifies us. We're bleached in the blood. There are two ways that Christ's blood purifies us. One way is that Christ's uh, Christ's blood sacrifice infuses into us a pure motive for loving him back. 
God works in us by the Holy Spirit as we're in Christ and Christ is in us and the Father is with us and the Holy Spirit is working in us and we're being transformed and renewed into the image of Christ. And God is working in our lives. And as we look at the cross, as we hear the message of the cross, it sinks into us and we are transformed by the sacrifice of Christ, by his love, by his blood poured out for us. We're renewed and we're made into something we weren't and we're cleansed. So one way that Christ's blood uh, cleanses us is, is it transforms our life. It transforms the way that we live. And a second way that the blood of Christ cleanses us is that it transforms the way that God looks at us. It transforms how we appear before God. It satisfies God's wrath so that <clears throat> the stains that remain on even our best actions, even the purest deeds of the most you know, righteous person in the, in, in, in the best age you know, of all the church, in all of this great throng that's gathered here, their best white robes are stained unless Christ turns the Father's eye to see his own righteousness, unless Christ provides a whiteness and a purity which, which God sees and which cleanses in God's eyes so that we're made acceptable to God. So the blood of Christ works on us, but the blood of Christ works on God so that we become pleasing and satisfying and acceptable to God, cleansed and made white. <clears throat> we uh, will do all our hard work, but then we'll have nothing left but thanksgiving. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Twas grace that came back when I was trembling and guilty and my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear that day when I first believed. It's all grace from beginning to end. We're cleansed by grace. So work hard at being clean and do your best to have white robes and stand there before God, clean and pure, armed with the knowledge that God is at work in you to enable you to do all of his will, that nothing will be too hard for you, that no temptation will overtake you, but God will strengthen you, he will be with you, he will support you, he will protect you, he will provide for you. It's his will that you be pure. So look to him and trust him and walk in that purity that he has bought for you by his blood. It's a triumph. <clears throat> it's a triumph of praise and it's a triumph of cleansing. And last we see, it's a triumph of peace. We go through all kinds of turmoil, all kinds of difficulty, all kinds of chaos in our lives. But God's plan for us is to reach peace, to be at peace in his presence. And so uh, we, we look at the promise here in the last few verses from verse 15 to 17. And it is, it's a vision of peace. Listen to what it says. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. 
He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This peace comes from God's presence. You know, we had just read a a, a couple weeks ago about the people crying out to the rocks and hills to fall upon them, for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of God. But for us who come before God in this final triumph, God will not be a great threat or a horror to us, but he will be our peace. And the one whom we would dread has become the one who provides blessedness and joy and peace. Peace with God is true peace. So the peace comes from God's presence. We're at peace before his throne. It's his own, his throne, his majestic and glorious place of self-revelation. And there's no threat in God's presence. No ups and downs. Only perfect joy. So there's no hot sun beating down on us. There's no scorching heat that will fall upon us. But we'll be at peace. We'll be at peace because his tent is spread over us. His presence is with us. And there's nothing to disturb us. And peace comes from God's presence. Peace comes from God's satisfactions. He, he fills our hearts with satisfaction. It says that we will serve in his temple. And, uh, well, you know, that sounds real exciting. You know, we, we all just want to, you know, have a job constantly of serving in a, in a temple. It's like being in church all the time. Uh, you know, the idea of service in his temple is, is so attractive because it's who God is. You know, it's, it's, it's really all about who you have a relationship with. And what's the quality of that relationship? How enjoyable is it? And being able to serve day and night in God's temple means that God enjoys you. He enjoys your presence. He enjoys what you're offering to him. You're a priest in his temple. You're serving. That means worshiping. It's a word for worship. So we're worshiping God for eternity. God is pleased and satisfied and he is enjoying what he receives from us. Well, listen, if you're giving enjoyment to God, God is giving delight to you. And so we see the satisfaction. We never hunger again. Never thirst again. There's no, it's not that we're, we're without feelings and we live in some kind of stoic existence without any enjoyments. No. It's that all of our enjoyments are satisfied in God's presence. All of our thirsts are quenched. Thirsts that we didn't even know about. Hungers that we couldn't even perceive. And we never get sated and overfull and stuffed but it's like being able to sit down at Thanksgiving meal and just be able to eat more and more and more and the food keeps getting better and better and better. I mean, what can you compare it to? There's nothing in this life that can compare with God satisfying our souls in his presence. No more thirst. No more hunger. 
God will satisfy his people. The deepest satisfaction, the deepest potential for joy will be satisfied. And God, God gives peace from his presence. God gives peace from all our desires, from all our longings. And God gives peace from his care. His tent is spread over us. The lamb will be our shepherd and the lamb will lead us to springs of living water. God will provide everything we could want or desire. The great thing about heaven is not what you get and not what you do. I'm sure what you get will be wonderful. I'm sure that what you do will far surpass anything that you could imagine. But that is not what will thrill you. What will thrill you about heaven is the presence of the Father, the fullness of the Spirit, and the shepherding of the Son. When we're there, God will satisfy us. God himself will be our satisfaction. He will rejoice in us. And there will be a giving and receiving of joy between us and God like no other relationship, like no other activity. You know, what's the use of a bottle? What's the use of, you know, the things that people chase after? You know, the rush or the high of all the things people want. They're dry and empty and worthless. God will pour out riches of love in our hearts. How sweet it is today to even shed tears knowing that it's his hand that will wipe them away. Let's pray. Father, work in our hearts that we might rejoice in the day that is coming when we will be before your presence, before your throne, when we will rejoice in your presence and when you will rejoice in ours, when you will exult in us and we will exult and thrill in all this that we've been anticipating. Fill our hearts with longing. Strengthen us to prepare for that day, to strive to enter the narrow way that we might be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.